say that I was one of those who put gentle pressure on Ken to still offer that class, so I really hope that if you're able, that you would make the time to go to that if you're not committed to any other class. And one of the reasons why I encouraged him to still offer it is that uh, a group of us have been going out each Saturday afternoon evangelizing in downtown Annapolis, and I thought, what a great way to prepare us to do that. And you know, the title of the book, How to Share Jesus Without Freaking Out, Witnessing to people and preaching is scary to me, too, and it's helpful for all of us to be reminded that it depends upon God and His Spirit, and we just want to be faithful, so I hope that, again, that perhaps you would think about going to that class with Ken, and again, as the weather gets warmer and as more and more people are out there in downtown Annapolis, uh, perhaps God would use us uh, to witness to our neighbors. People come to Annapolis from all over the world. A couple weeks ago, we were there, and I talked with a couple from Mexico. They were visit- visiting friends in town, and you never know who's going to bring across your path. Well, when Jerry, Pastor Jerry asked me to preach today, and uh, I asked him, you know, what should I preach on or what's going on? He said, oh, just, just preach what's on your heart and whatever the Lord is speaking to you about. So I thought about it and prayed about it. And if you've heard me preach here before, you may have noticed a theme, and I, it sort of occurred to me as I thought about it, and a, a theme that I end up talking about is being able to see God in ordinary life, being able to see God at work around us as Christians and how it makes all the difference. If we can just see him, we can be used by him. If we can just see him we can face those temptations with confidence instead of with fear. God wants us to see that he is alive and active in this world because he is. Now, as I thought about that, uh, I, uh, and as I thought about this sermon, what I wanted to preach on, I remembered a mission trip that I went on when I was in college, and it was in Romania. And if you've ever been on a foreign mission trip, uh, you may have had the experience that I had. You're in a little church and they're singing songs that you don't know, you don't know the language, and there's preaching, and you don't really know what's going on. And if you're American, you're usually not used to long church services, right? You know, we're, we're pretty methodical, like how long these services are. Over there, you know, it's an all-day thing sometimes. So we're in this church, and it's, at, it's in the evening, and we had worked all that day, and we were tired. And I'm sitting there, and it's all in Romanian, and I don't know what's going on. I assume that they're singing about God, and they're singing about the Bible. And I'm looking around the room. This is what, this is what we do sometimes when we sort of zone out or we don't know what's going on. We look around the room, and we see what's happening. And I look at the pulpit, and I'm looking at the front of the pulpit, and it has the verse. I see, it's in Romanian, but it says Genesis 28:16, And I said, well... I don't know what those words in Romanian are, but I could at least look it up in my Bible. So I look up Genesis 28, 16, and it's what you have printed in the front of your bulletin. And what does it say? It says, surely God, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I said, oh, that's a pretty cool verse to have on your pulpit, right? When God's people are gathered... And when the word is preached, when the word is sung, 
God is present with his people, even when we don't know it. Even when you're in a foreign country and they're speaking a different language, God is present. Now, the last time I preached, or the time before, I talked about what was behind the pulpit at our old church in North Carolina, right, where it said, sir, we would see Jesus. So maybe I need to write a book or do some study about verses or things that are printed either like behind the pulpit or, or in front of it. But it was interesting to me that across all time and all cultures, God is with his people to bless them when they worship. And I want us all to be able to say from our heart after what we hear today that surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. This morning, we're going to look at the story of Jacob, this guy who was on the run, and how God met him in a very unexpected place. Now, sometimes God seems absent to us. If we're honest, we have times when we feel that way. Sometimes it's the monotony of everyday life. Sometimes it's you're at school and things seem really boring and you wish that you were somewhere else. Maybe you've even taken upon yourself the discipline of reading your Bible and praying and it doesn't always seem like angels are singing above your head. Uh, Sometimes it just seems like nothing is happening and you just wish that God would do something. Or sometimes you've even had the experience where something really bad has happened and you wonder where was God in that situation. Now some people are skeptical about Christianity because they believe that if God was present, he would surely do more to fix the problems that are obvious to all of us. Uh, If you have questions and concerns, then you're in good company. Jacob, whose story you just heard read uh, by Mike, He had a lot of questions and concerns, too. He had a lot of uncertainty in his life. So let's look at this story and see what he has, what God has to show us through it. So look with me at verse 10, back in Genesis 28, if you've got your Bible open. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. So first, we see Jacob's condition. He is a man in distress. He's on the run. He comes from a dysfunctional family, and he has a notorious name. Uh, His family, even though God had made promises to them, and even though God was working through them, it was not always a happy home that functioned perfectly, and I hope that you can relate to that. Um, We all really have dysfunctional families to varying degrees, but Jacob's family was no exception. But think about his name, Jacob. Jacob's name means heel grabber or one who grabs the heel. When he was born, his brother came out first, but when his brother came out, he was grasping the heel. He was grasping Esau's heel, and that name stuck. And it's a preview of what would happen later in his life. They both grow up, and Jacob was home, and he was making stew. And Esau, his brother, he was a hunter, and he had just come back from hunting, and he was starving, and Jacob sees the opportunity, and uh, he says, hey, uh, sell me your birthright, and I'll give this stew to you, and, and he says, well, what is my birthright worth to me if, if I die? So he sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. Later, uh, their father Isaac is about to die, and he's about to give his blessing, and Rebecca. Uh, Jacob's mom says, hey, I want to I help you to get this blessing from your father, 
even though it's supposed to come to the firstborn. So they come up with this scheme where he, he, he dresses like his brother. So Isaac can't see, really. And Rebecca helps Jacob come up with this disguise so that it seems like he's Esau. So Esau says he's a hairy guy, and uh, Rebecca gets him like these, these clothes and to make it seem like Jacob is actually Esau. And this whole, this whole trick uh, is successful. And Jacob gets the blessing, and Esau doesn't get it. And Esau is not happy about this, and he wants to kill his brother. And Rebekah recognizes this and knows that Jacob needs to get out of town or else he's going to die. So she says, well, I don't want Jacob to marry someone from this area. I don't want him to marry one of the uh, unbelievers from around this area. Go back to where we came from and find uh, a wife for yourself uh, among those people. And Jacob, or uh, Isaac says, that's a good idea. But you see, all these schemes, imagine in one family, the, the mother and the one son are working together to trick the husband. It's, it's messed up. It's a dysfunctional family. And when you think of Jacob and what he has done and what he's participated in, you would see that he is not the kind of person that God would use to bless the world, Right? I hope that you find encouragement in that, that maybe you don't see yourself as someone that God would use to bless other people, that you look at yourself, you see your faults, you see your failures, you see your inadequacies, and you think, God can never use me, or I guess the flip side would be, God can really use me, or in a prideful way, we say, why wouldn't God use me, Uh, and you need to be humbled as well, but God uses Jacob, he's working in Jacob's life. So what happens when, we're, when we think that God is absent? What are we tempted to do? Well, we're tempted to busy ourselves with distractions. Uh, many of us spend a lot of time on our smartphone because we're waiting in line, or we're waiting at the light, or we're waiting for this or that. And instead of taking the full weight of just this monotony of life, we find something to distract us. Uh, sometimes when we see, or when we don't see God active, we're tempted to throw our hands up in despair and say, What does it matter? Uh, Often we're tempted to try to take matters into our own hands. This is what Jacob did, right? He wants to be blessed. He wants to prosper. And he's willing to participate in this ruse to get his father's blessing. And and this is what we're often tempted to do. We're often tempted to indulge in sinful behavior. We think it doesn't matter and I'm going to get what I want for myself one way or the other. And, And that's how it's dangerous when you don't see God at work around you. So where do we find Jacob? Well, he's at a lonely campsite. Look at verse 11. It says, He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, imagine things are pretty rough when you've got to use a stone for a pillow. Perhaps he's using it for protection. Uh, He's in this place. He's all by himself. And he's probably thinking to, myself, to himself, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be blessed. I'm all by myself. I'm on the run. My brother wants to kill me. That's a pretty dysfunctional family when your brother wants to kill you. He's alone on the run. He's camped out in the desert. It doesn't feel like blessing. 
Uh, he begins to wonder, perhaps, if his parents had been hallucinating, if they had just imagined that God had spoken to them because he's all by himself. He's got uncertainty behind him. He's got uncertainty ahead of him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. So what is God up to with Jacob, and what is God up to with us? Look at verse 12, where we see God's revelation and how it's present and personal. Look with me at verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder or stairway set up on the earth, and the top of it reached heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Bruce Waltke, his commentary on Genesis was very helpful to me in the preparation. We actually have this commentary in the library. I encourage you to check it out. But he says, in this unexpected event, in a no place, God sovereignly and apart from Jacob's schemes reveals himself to Jacob. So what does he see? Well, he sees a stairway. Uh, I guess you can picture, picture a pier, like a step pyramid or... A, a, kind of a temple rising up and the steps going up to it. And you see, he sees angels ascending and descending upon it. And not only that, God is there. Verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Let me stop right there. These are God's promises made personal to Jacob. These promises have been made to Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father. And God here is making his promises personal to Jacob. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers. So that's the first promise. But then he says, <clears throat> and this is actually verse 14. I, I misprinted it or I mistyped it in the, the notes. But in verse 14... It says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jacob, who has nothing with him, he has this promise from God that he is blessed, that he's going to have offspring, that he's going to have many children, and they're going to spread out, they're going to break out and be a blessing. In verse 14, it also says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east. Uh, you may think dust doesn't sound too good. You know, you want to have more honor than dust, but dust in terms of number, it's going to be an innumerable number of descendants that Jacob will have and be a blessing. But he also says, I am with you. This is verse 15. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. God is making his promises personal to Jacob. Again, he's by himself, and God says that he's with him. He doesn't have a wife, and God says that I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the dust of the ground. He's going to make him a blessing. He's going to accomplish his purpose, and Jacob certainly doesn't deserve it. He sees that God is present with him when he previously thought that nothing was happening, that he was just in this lonely place. Uh, I had a pretty cool experience this week, actually, on Friday. I was out shopping, getting ready for the youth group event on Friday night, and uh, lately I've been carrying these little gospel tracks with me, 
and it's got the church information on the back. And as God allows me, I give them to people as I go. And I, I paid for these items, and I'm talking to the cashier, and the thought occurs to me, hey, just give her this, give her this tract. And I'm like, hey, why not? Even though like, I was so close to just walking out the door. And I gave it to her, and she said, you know, I've been thinking about going to church. I used to go when I was a kid. I was involved. I would even go to the nursing home, and we would give uh, items to, to the residents there. And she talked about how she has uh, two kids, and she lives in the neighborhood or lives in, in this area. And to me, I, I heard those words. I thought, man, I was given a, a glimpse of what God was doing in the background. I didn't know this lady. I didn't know, you know that she had been thinking about church. I just gave her this tract and said, hey, it's got a message about the Bible inside, and it's got our church information on the back. And she was asking about what kind of things we have for kids and, and all this stuff. And it was encouraging. I was able to see God at work uh, in our normal, my normal day-to-day life. So we see Jacob as this man in, in a desperate situation. And we see God's revelation. This was no ordinary place. God was revealing himself, making his promises personal. So then what is Jacob's response? We see renewal and resolve. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. He sees it. He he sees that God was there all the time. He thought he was alone, but he was not alone. He was all by himself with nothing to offer and God says, I am here and I will bless you. And Christian, this is what God says to you and to me. In ourselves, we don't have anything to offer. God made us, he loves us, but by his grace, he uses us. By his grace, he equips us. And most of all, by his grace, he saves us. None of us can say that God should accept me because of how obedient I've been or how well I manage my children or all these things. No, God comes to you and he comes to me in his grace And says, I love you, I accept you, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. So he has this moment of realization. Again, Walt, he says, Jacob embraces the promises of his dream. The world of his dream is more convincing than his world of fear and guilt. God is present. He's there to take care of his need. God knows what Jacob did. But yet he is still faithful to keep his promises. Again, this should encourage us, brothers and sisters, when we fail, when we don't do everything right, that God is with you. And instead of looking to yourself and to your guilt, he wants you to look to Christ and his sufficiency for you. So he's amazed, but he's also a little bit fearful. Throughout the Bible, when people encounter angels or when they encounter God, it can be a scary thing. What do you always hear the angels say? Don't be afraid. But it is scary when God shows up. But he comes in his grace. But what does it lead Jacob to do when he encounters God in this no-name place? He worships. Look at verses 18 and 19. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. 
He called the name of that place Bethel, and the name of the city was Luz or Luz at the first. So Abigail and I, my daughter, um, we were talking about this passage earlier this week, and she's like, oh, I know all about this. But she came up with a really cool joke, and she gave me permission to tell it. She said, uh, why was it called Luz? Because it was to lose its name. It was made to lose its name. That was a good one. Um, it turns out that this is a city, or it's near a city. It's a no-name place. It's really God, the author, is saying, you know what, this great city of the Canaanites, it's nothing. It is this no-name place. And what makes this place significant is that I'm here and that I'm working in my people to bless them and to keep them and to watch over them forever. Bethel, Bethel, the house of God, the place that Jacob thought nothing was happening, though his grandfather Abraham had also worshipped there and built an altar there. There was a history there that Jacob was a part of. So it's awe and amazement, it's worship, but also commitment. Look with me at verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give to me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, you might look at this and it seems like Jacob's saying, all right, if you do this, then I'll do this. But in a way he's saying that, but he's really expressing confidence in the Lord. He has heard from God and he has believed God's promises to him. And in response to God's promise of grace to him, he's going to give back. Remember Jacob's name. He's a taker. He's grabbing at the heel of his brother. He's taking his birthright. He's taking the blessing. But when he encounters God in a personal way, he becomes a giver. He becomes one who wants to bless others. He wants to give back to God a portion of what God had given to him. And brothers and sisters, this is what God does for us. When we recognize what God has done for us in his grace in sending Jesus to be our Savior, what we do in our, the rest of our lives, in our giving financially, in our giving of our time, in our even enduring sometimes those monotonous situations, uh, when you're down in the nursery serving and it seems like nothing's happening, God is working in those moments. God is present, and again, he makes his people want to give. We have received so much from Christ, we want to give to the world. So I'll finish with this. In the Gospel of John, uh, in chapter 1, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Here in the men's Bible study, we just learned about Andrew and how he brought people to Jesus and how God used him. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him on whom Moses and the law and also the prophets testified, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael says, Nazareth, can anything great come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the one where God's presence is. He is the source of our blessing now. If we have him, we have God. He is the one where we worship. He is the one that is our gate of heaven. If you remember later when Jesus died on the cross, one of the centurions, those who was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, in Mark 15 it says, when he saw the way that Jesus died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. He saw what was happening. At first he was just crucifying a criminal. But when he saw what happened, he confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, Jesus has come so that we would know God, so that we would live in confidence, so that we would live and serve others. And Jesus is our gate to heaven. So let's go to him in prayer. Lord, thank you that you are present among us. Through your word and through your spirit, you are here. I pray that we would receive what we have heard with faith and with repentance. That, Lord, in the various ways that we have tried to connive and scheme and to get your blessing through our own efforts. Lord, you have come in grace and have paid for it all. You have taken care of it all. Help us, Lord, to believe your promises, to believe that you're present and to enjoy the blessing of knowing you and sharing you with other people. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So when I select songs, sometimes it's done by faith. Uh, but every now and then, you, you, you go through, you, you think you've got it right, you think you've matched a song with a sermon, and sometimes you just get it wrong. And that was this week. So I'm going to call an audible. Those of you who know my football proclivities, I'm looking at you, Kim. So I'm going to call an audible and say that I thought by faith it was going to work, and I don't think it does. So I'm, I'm going to say I'm human. I made a mistake. Uh, and I, I was looking through the, the hymnal for a song that, that fit this particular theme of, of Jacob's Ladder, and I think I found one. The problem is the tune is not familiar.